welcome to the Hingham Cast. I'm your host, Allie Donnelly. The Hingham Cast is hyper-local, looking at the pandemic, politics, and everything in between through the lens of one small town. My town, here on Boston South Shore. But the issues we explore are universal, like mental health and our connection to nature. Today's episode is kind of selfish. I've been in this weird place for the last couple of weeks. Not full-blown depression exactly, but this kind of meh feeling. And a lot of people I talk to say they're in the same boat. I'll ask someone how they're doing and they'll say, we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, getting through it, I guess. (laughs) I mean, this is supposed to be a time when the kids go back to school and I'm re-energized and refocused. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Whatever. But with Delta and worrying the kids could have to quarantine or, God forbid, go back to remote, another winter worried about eating indoors or going to the movies or somebody getting sick again, I just can't shake this malaise. So I'm trying to suck up as much nature as possible, which always makes me feel better. And I wanted to pass along what I found to you, new spots to explore and conversations with people who intentionally live their lives outside. These points are not sharp, but they are sharp enough to go into that squishy target. What else is squishy? Human beings! Kira LaFosse Baker is wrangling a half dozen eight-year-olds with bow and arrows on the archery range. Just let go of your fingers. Ready? And I'm probably not going to get it on the target because I'm showing off. Oh, just made it. She's an educator at the New England base camp on the Blue Hills in Milton. Our property itself is about 111 acres, eight of which is kind of our program space. So we've got a whole bunch of woods. Uh, We have lots and lots of campsites for people who come on the weekends. A lot of, you know, so we're an old Boy Scout camp, right? And we're still owned and operated by the Scouts, but our programming has become bigger. This council in particular realized a long time ago that one of the ways to keep scouting alive is to welcome more people girls, gays, um, the public, people who aren't scouts. So every weekend, this property is open to the public. Now that we have shot all of our arrows. I'm visiting on a Thursday when they host outdoor school. It's an enrichment program for homeschool kids. Kira, mine hit really hard onto the the target and then it it bounced off. We expanded a lot uh, this past year with the pandemic, right? People, even people who weren't so nature inclined were like, I don't want them in a stuffy building. Um, I want them outside. The signs very quickly said, if you're outdoors, you're at least a little bit safer. And so they're like, let's keep them outdoors. But like Kira said, base camp opens to the general public on Saturdays. You know, obviously we're a podcast, not video. So yeah, paint me yeah, a yeah. picture of what we're looking yeah, at. Yeah, so we're looking at this area we call our pioneering area, um, or as we lovingly rec- call it, uh, the monkey bridges, which is a hearkening back to. There used to be more than one bridge, but this is this awesome rope bridge structure um, that's all science, right? It's all the different forces playing on each other to build, to make this thing stand up. Um, this is actually built by some scouts who came in and did it as a project and, and they've got their pulley systems and it can all be tightened up as it gets loose when we bounce on it inevitably. Um, so, and behind all that, we've got a fort that some other groups have made and another fort that some kids have built on their own. So people on the weekends come up here and they do, they learn about lashings and they learn how to build things. And that's where all these cool fort structures have come from is people learning a skill and then applying it to something fun. Very cool. All right. So what else is here? If I come here on the weekend with my family, what am I going to be able to do? Oh my gosh, the list is long. All of the program areas that we can have open seasonally are open. 
And then we've got our archery range. For those who are a little bit older, we have our axe throwing range. We do have some rules about how old you have to be in order to do some of these things. And then like even this wall behind us that just looks like fun rocks, we actually do some bouldering up there. So we'll put, wow. sometimes we'll take out a crash pad and um, Nick, one of our educators, will do some bouldering with younger kids wow. because they can't do the other awesome thing that we can walk towards at some point, which is our high ropes course. So we've got high ropes, we've got um, outdoor cooking, we have um, an ax yard. So we've got ax throwing over there, but we also have an ax yard for like learning how to chop, learning how to cut, right? We've got a two, two person saw. So when you come here to camp on a weekend, you know how to, you like can get practiced in how to get firewood for your fires. How have I never heard I this? know, so this is what happens with this place. Everyone who comes here is like, this is a diamond <laughs> hiding in the Blue Hills. And that's what I did when I first came here. I was like, what, they have everything. And to boot, we have an indoor space with a pool. We have, yeah, we've, yeah. Got, we've got it all. That's um, amazing. Let me pause here to say, check before you go. The pool wasn't open to everyone when we went because of COVID restrictions, but they're working toward a plan for fall. Now, remember, it's a nonprofit, so Basecamp might not have all the glitzy bells and whistles of a corporate enterprise, but in everything you do there, there are staff teaching your kids and skills building with them. So in the winter, we just like double down. So this giant rock you're looking at here um, over on the side yeah. is, you know, this massive kind of glacial erratic boulder. And we've got a hose at the top of it and we run water down it and it's ice climbing. No way! Yep. So we've got ice climbing. Again, it's another thing that only the older kids can really do, I think 11 and up, but it's pretty awesome. So that whole rock gets covered in sheets of ice and we've got all the gear. So you just come and it's one of the things, we have a few things that you have to sign up for in advance so we yeah. know how many people are coming, but you just give us a call. Awesome. It's so fun. So awesome. we're gonna come down to the backside okay. of, our, um, of our high road. I'll follow you. Yeah. All right, tell me what we're looking at. So this is our high ropes course, and we've got all kinds of things up here. This is the giant ladder, um, which is a cool thing that they sometimes have to use um, in tandem, because if one person uses, climbs on one side, the other side gets imbalanced. So it's so much teamwork in here. Our harness and helmet is good. My harness is still good. My helmet is good. Martin, ready to climb? <laughs> Izzy, climb away. The, my favorite teamwork is this giant stack of probably 40 milk crates that are here, and it's just the milk crate challenge. Uh, we're just making you higher. Um, no, she has to go up onto that one so that we can put stuff on here. Yeah. One person is on belay and is being, you know, is in a harness and is being hoisted up, but not fully, right? They still have to stand on their own. Okay, this one's very stable. This one is? The one you're about to climb on. And they have to stand on milk crates. So they use as a team, they build a base, they have to figure out what's the best structure, and they'll hand up a milk crate. I'm so, I'm right here, you got it. Right, see, I'm holding it so You got it. Oh my hand. Good job. And they have to see how tall they can get. Huh. And it's not just up to the person standing up there, it's up to the team to like strategize from below. And Two more steps and then lucky number eight. Is everybody holding the next just one? Just do it, it's fine. You can do it. Good job. You got this. If you fall, the rope's got you. And then the inevitable like, oh my gosh, it crashed and everybody's falling and they're swinging in the air and it's so much fun. So that is like a go-to for us. Um, we've got kind of the walkway across up top. So, yeah, people walk across these kind of hanging swing ladders up yeah, here, yeah. Um, get across the back. One of the things I like a lot about this place, because I, I mean, I love all the high adventure stuff, but I also love that we're just surrounded by the nature of the Blue Hills, right? 
we probably in this walk we just took past 10 toads and a snake and we didn't know because we're like oh high rope so cool but we also encourage people to spend a lot of time here and we have certain areas of the forest where we know there's a barn owl living or um, we know where you know we've seen the pileated woodpecker we put my kids at, at school we put trail cams up every year and we know there's a lot of deer and then it brings you back to this you know, we, we got to talk about, oh, that's cool that there's deer here. And a lot of them will hear about the deer hunt that they've started on Blue Hills. And it's this great kind of civics and environmental impact conversation. What does nature, what does nature give to you? Oh my goodness. You know, I think for me, nature gives me a, a healthy distraction, right? Uh, like even just this moment, I don't know if your mic picked it up, but I'm listening. I'm always listening to the bird, right? I'm like, what bird is that? And it shuts down all that other stuff, that worry, because it just turns my brain on to curiosity about that thing. You can go one of the two ways, right? You can get excited about something that distracts you from all the nonsense, or you can take a minute and breathe deeper and, and let your brain wash everything else away. I think a lot of people don't think that the outdoors is for them. And I think everyone should just try it. I think if you try it, you are going to connect in a way that you didn't think you might. And so we just think you should get outside. Yeah. So base camp is $20 a person, and you can spend the entire day there. Pack a lunch or snacks. There's a covered pavilion and bathrooms. And call and check what activities your kids can do. There are some age restrictions, just a few things, but parts of the rope course in particular. It's not the commercial ropes course you might picture in your mind. It's more survivory. I loved it, despite the weird noise you can hear me making as I rappel down. <laughs> it's newenglandbasecamp.org, and they're on Facebook and Instagram, too. Okay. I want to introduce you now to a really interesting and lovely guy named Jeffrey Hamilton. He's 37 years old and a steward for the trustees of the reservation. Cows! Ooh, come on, cows! <laughs> so they're gonna start the engine, and they're gonna think they're moving pastures. Oh, here we go! Somebody's running. They think that we're about to give them hay, and they're gonna be upset when we don't have it. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go chase them down. I met Jeffrey last Friday at Ware River Farm. I needed to take his picture, and he introduced me around to the humans and some of his other favorite creatures. You know, those Oreo or belted Galloway cows you see grazing on the hill? This brown one right here is six or seven months old. He's probably 900 pounds, what we're staring at with them goofing around. The little brown one? The little brown one. And then there is a king of the herd, but really technically this one, there's a mama of the herd. She's, She's the one that's been around the longest. She runs the show. And that rocks the cradle. That's it. But this is their life. Pretty nice. Eventually, his boss tells him to get back to work. I'm as disappointed as he is. But we had sat down earlier for a more formal interview. Literally, my favorite thing to do on the farm is a good cow escape. <laughs> because they're just really overgrown kids having fun. And they know they're not supposed to be doing that. But there they are. That's awesome. How do you, you know, how do you get the cows back in? Depends on uh, what the ringleader is doing. Is the ringleader just running so you have to kind of outpace them? And cows move fast. Everyone thinks a big cow is just kind of a, a slow mover. No, 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 no. They get moving. So you just try to bribe them. Uh, someone goes to the bar and grabs a hay bale, jumps in the ATV, and uh, tries to get ahead of them to swing them back in a horseshoe back to where they belong. You are what's called a steward 
for the trustees of the reservation. What does that mean? I like to consider myself uh, the landlord of the properties the trustees have across the state. So beyond your massive cow wrangling duties, what else do you do? Uh, so this time of the year, a lot of um, routine maintenance to keep Mother Nature from growing everywhere. It's just like how everybody, if you're a homeowner, you mow your lawn once a week, twice a week. We do that uh, at all of the properties every day. Oh, wow. If you've ever been to World's End in Hingham and you're walking along the carriage roads, next time take a peek to your left and right, you'll see the trees that are along it. Uh, each one of those gets weed wet around by our crew and uh, gets mowed to maintain its uh, not only aesthetics, but to prevent Mother Nature from taking over, which is what she wants to do, which is mm. not wrong. It's just, you know, she's in charge. <laughs> Last night, we had a concert here at, at the farm. Um, so that involves setting up what needed for electricity needs, extension cords, staffing the parking lot. Next week, we have our fall festival. So we're getting ready, nice. all the fields ready for that. We're sprucing up the properties. And then if something happens, uh, it could be a tree has fallen into a neighbor's yard. And now we have to mm. go take care of that. Or a tree fell off across a trail in Whitney and Thayer Woods. And that has to go get um, chainsawed and removed. So you're 37 years old. You went to college for criminal justice and sociology, and then you spent some time in the corporate world. Tell me about that. You called it cubicle life. It was great experience as a young, just graduated college after working a restaurant job. It was great first introduction into the real world. And there was one day in the fall where I just watched the day go by from, you know, we all wake up. It's, you know, it's dark now at 6 a.m., and then by the time I was getting ready to leave, by 4.30, it was dark again. And that moment, I stopped and I said, I can't do this. And what did you decide? You wanted something specific. I needed to be outside. I could not not feel the wind as I'm watching it through the window, moving along the tree branches and I'm watching the leaves fall. I can't walk over and grab it. I'm, you know, I'm four floors up and I can't feel the air the crisp autumn air. Um, I just feel the the building air. I can't um, I can't hear traffic. I can't hear people walking by on their phone. And that connection to everyone around me in their own lives, I can't uh, be a part of that. And that was it. Mm. You said you watched an entire day go by. You know all of these things you couldn't touch and feel and experience. What was that for you that day? And I was thinking, I want to be what I would like will make me happy for the rest of my life. I need to be someplace doing something that's going to make me happy. Mm. And at that moment, I was very unhappy. Mm. So you started taking jobs outside, driving a truck for nonprofits, picking up donations, working at construction sites for Home Depot. And then you saw an ad for the trustees. Tell me about that. <laughs> I had decided I wanted to make it keep progressing and working outdoors. But now I wanted a mission. I wanted to work for a mission at some place that had not just a job, but a good feeling attached to what they do. So I started looking at all kinds of nonprofit and outdoor organizations. And I think I was driving in Milton when I saw Governor Hutchinson's field in Milton one day. And there is a view, if you're in the area, the view from there at night is absolutely spectacular with the view of the city. And I decided, 
where is the website and what do they have for jobs? <laughs> My first application was actually for uh, an engagement manager. And it was funny because it was an automatic re- rejection. <laughs> it was uh, probably within two minutes, I got the automatic email. Thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, Jeffrey, let's narrow it down. And the steward position popped up uh, a few months later on. It talked about working outdoors with machinery with on property and you have to be a problem solver on the fly. You have to have a mix of this talent, mix of this trade. And uh, November four years ago, uh, I put my application in and here I am talking to you. Nice. So when you're going to a trustee property, describe for me what fills you. Um, every time I visit a property, I always go to our app, the trustees app, and it has the history of it. And I can't, I kind of imagine what Jeffrey would look like working in that property back in the 40s mm. or 1920s. And what did they eat for food? And I'm like, I wonder what they had is, and did that sustain them? And then they don't go home to air conditioning. They go home to no air conditioning. So trying to put myself in the position of a steward back in history, I always like to uh, to do that. That's my, you know, that's my connection with a property. Nice. So outsiders looking in who say, well, yeah, I've been to World's End, but, you know, I want to explore a little bit more. What are some of your favorite spots? You say the Naras Reservation. Why? Yeah, everybody loves the boathouse on the North River. I've taken thousands of videos uh, when I do my trail walk at the boathouse at night, looking upriver and watching which way the tide is going. Is it going in or is it going out? And then watching it as it flows down ever so softly if it's leaving and take the bend around the corner right by the boathouse. And I just think that's one piece of that one section of water I'm not going to see again. Sounds kind of cheesy, but there it goes. Mm. But that's actually not my favorite spot at at Norris. My favorite spot is a bench, which I can't uh, reveal here because everyone's going to go there. (laughs) It's a spot on the river that overlooks um, a quiet section of the of the marsh there and uh, just watching at sunset. You have to watch at sunset. That's my recommendation. Watch the birds fly around catching their last bugs before they go to bed or watching the fish jump or just watching the, the, the marsh grass just move in a slight breeze. This is total bliss. Hmm. What other properties do you love? Um, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but we have a little secret, but we have two properties, two new properties coming in the trustees portfolio that will be 123 properties that the trustees maintain. Hmm. Um, but in one of these properties uh, in Dartmouth is Cornell Farm. Super elegant as far as New England style architecture with not just the building, but the way the stone walls are in are in the property and the way the paths are mowed to the river. These buildings were put here well before I was born. They're still standing Simple materials, simple design. It just hit me like this is an extremely beautiful place. That's my probably my second favorite property. But one of my favorite things to do when I'm at World's End is to the fields at World's End are both uh, managed for wildlife nesting birds. So mm-hmm. you may see the fields super tall, and you wonder, wow, Jeffrey's really lazy. They're not mowing the fields. <laughs> That's not the case. Some fields are hay fields, and some fields are our grassland nesting. Uh, bird habitat so you can only mow them certain times of the year uh, but when we get to mow them for hay it's truly one of those experiences that i can't really describe your hands will be sore 
you're itchy from all the hay touching your skin and you're just exhausted. But that hay uh, goes off to feed our animals here at Weir River Farm. Mm. And then when we help do the feedings, I'm actually feeding that hay that I helped load and in the process with the tractors of cutting it, uh, windrowing it and, and tethering it and bailing it. It kind of one of those moments where I, I, I love, I'm actually doing something where I'm part of a process. Mm. There's a lot of spots during the day when I'm working that I've kind of made a rule myself that I need to stop and turn the engine off and just be a part of that moment. And uh, I hope people listening don't think I'm some uh, kind of <laughs> philosophical or uh, um, super over the top uh, uh, in the moment kind of person, but <laughs> everybody should do this no matter where they are. Um, I take time. I turn the engine off on the mower or the tractor. I jump out. And I just listen and feel and watch of where I am that moment. Mm. You know, there was this time when we were closed during COVID, when all of our properties were closed, when it was, uh, everything was done. Mother Nature came back when no visitors were on our property. Uh, We had herds of 40 deer walking around World's End. Mm. The birds were so loud because nobody was talking on the phone as they walked through World's End. All the birds just seemed so excited to be talking to each other. Um, behind me, the tide was coming into Dan Meadows, which used to be salt marsh hay. And then I just, I could uh, just be happy I've, I've made it to this moment. To check out Trustee Properties and special events, log on to thetrustees.org. You can also find links to all these spots on our website, thehinghamcast.com. Now, beyond the trustees, there's lots of other free or low-cost trails and parks to explore around here, most of which I've never checked out. But a local family has taken the guesswork out of it. This trail is over just over three miles, goes through some uh, woods and wetlands with some great views of the Cushing Brook Marsh and the Cushing Brook itself. The voice you're hearing there is Jim Kirkcaldy, who, along with his sister Amy, started South Shore Family Adventures last year. The brother-sister pair maps out hiking trails and parks and other outdoor adventures all along the South Shore. Today, I'm joined by Amy. Hey, Amy. Hi there, Allie. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us. So I want to say first and foremost to folks, they might recognize your last name, Kirkcaldy, because your dad, James Kirkcaldy, taught social studies at Hingham High School for decades. He retired last year, right? That's correct. Excellent. So tell me how South Shore Family Adventures got started. Well, my brother and I are both lucky enough to have summers off. And so we usually spend all of our summers together because both of our spouses do not have summers off. And the cousins are pretty close in age and get along really well. So we have to fill up our time and we need cheap or free things to do because it gets very expensive. Um, And then we realized we had a lot of information and a lot of things that that we could share with people and figured it would be a good idea to, to launch a blog and a YouTube channel to do so. What can I expect when I go to your website or YouTube channel? What we're really trying to do is just take the element out of surprise, out of um, experiences in nature. We think that a lot of people are intimidated about bringing their kids uh, on a hiking trail or into the wilderness if they don't know exactly what to expect. Yeah. For you, what's the difference you see in your kids if you do go on an adventure or you don't? Well, I will speak to my two children, but they are two nine-year-old, very hyperactive, uh, high-energy boys. So this has been a long time coming in terms of finding outlets for them to to burn off some of that energy. 
And being out in nature not only allows them to run free and run wild, but it also calms them down. And so after we've come back from a hike, they are able to focus better and they're able to sort of settle in ways that um, they aren't if we don't get out. Mm. So you've been crisscrossing the South Shore. Um, What are some of your favorite spots? We love Wampatuck. I know that's so local for Hingham that that's nothing new, but we really like the Aaron Reservoir section. We've also discovered some really cool spots that technically aren't South Shore, but there's this amazing little trail in Brockton, actually right on the Eastern Line. It's called Stone Farm Conservation. It's a very short but well-marked, beautiful loop that's actually maintained by Audubon. Hmm. Nobody knows it exists, so we, we usually have the whole entire place to ourselves. Very cool. If I called you and said, okay, I've got two hours total, where should I go? What would you say? I would pull you away from the South Shore to Easton, Massachusetts, to Borderland State Park. A lot of people have heard of this place because it is really popular, especially on weekends. The enormous parking lot can fill up. Most people stick to the pond trail, and it's beautiful, but it's way too crowded. If you pick pretty much any other trail in this enormous and wonderful state park, you're going to have the place to yourself to explore. Yeah, you're going to find enormous boulders to climb on. There are trees located in unusual spots, like there is a rock that we always look for uh, that's enormous with a dead tree growing out of the top of it. Borderland also has plenty of geocaches that you can look for. I don't know if you're familiar with geocaches, but there's a website, it's geocaching.com. You can go there and do a search by location and find these essentially treasures that are hidden all around the world. Uh, they give you coordinates, and then you put the coordinates into your phone and, and do some treasure hunting. That's so cool. We also like Ames Knoll, which is a state park as well. This one is in Brockton, Abington. It's really accessible and easy to get to. Gorgeous pond, great for fishing, more boulders that you can climb on, and a really cool dam that the kids like to try to cross when it's not too um, flooded with water. So if we want to take more of a road trip, where should we go? We're on a Rhode Island kick and are exp- we're exploring Rhode Island as much as we possibly can. Uh, one of our favorites in that area is Fort Barton. Uh, that's in Tiverton, and that is a really fun hike. It's, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, there's some pretty steep spots, but it's, um, it's close to a lot of good eating places, farm stands. We like Rhode Island because we can combine our hiking with our love of eating. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So for someone who just has a little bit of time and wants to go someplace close to Hingham, what would you say? I would go to Norwell. Norwell has amazing trails. There's Jacob's Pond. There is uh, Norris Reservation. And there's Hornstra Farms. So you can go get the best ice cream in the world after you hike. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Tell folks how they can find you. We have a website southshorefamilyadventures.com. We have a YouTube channel also just called South Shore Family Adventures. Uh, We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you so much. I love talking with you. I loved talking with you. Thank you for having me. Let's pause here to thank our media partner, The Hingham Anchor. You can put faces to these voices and get the top local stories of the day at HinghamAnchor.com. And to see pictures of some of our guests' favorite spots, follow The Hingham Cast on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, back to our conversation. I think there's a ton of value in just hearing how people are connecting with nature or getting centered or whatever it is right now. But I also wanted to pull in a professional 
My next guest is Peg Bame. She's the director of the SMART program through the Benson Henry Institute at Mass General Hospital. SMART is stress management and resiliency training. Hi, Peg. Hi. Thanks so much for coming. Oh, happy to be here. So, Peg, you do a lot of work around the relationship between stress and health conditions. Talk to me about why it is or why is it that getting outside can be such a healthy dose of medicine, so to speak? Back in the 70s, there started to be an interest, mostly starting in psychiatry, um, to really understand what is this this interdependence between humans uh, and nature. Uh, And they came up with what's termed the biophilia hypothesis. And it's an understanding that we're a living system. And so we're innately connected to all living systems. Gosh, decades of research has shown in a variety of ways, it's just so therapeutic. And in keeping with the science of mind-brain-body interactions, which is really the science of how do you reduce the impact of stress and enhance your body's processes for resiliency, you see that that interaction with nature is having a direct impact on all those biomarkers. Hmm. You know, you and I were talking earlier, you were talking about recovery and what researchers found about, you know, after surgery or tell me about what you were saying. Well, there was a researcher, Robert Ulrich was his name. And in the 70s, he spent 11 years just looking at patients that had their gallbladder removed. And some of the patients, their recovery was in a room that overlooked a lot of green space. And other patients, you know, they overlooked like brick walls. Hmm. And what he discovered was the ones that had that that green space view, they had a shorter hospital stay. They had less negative patient complaints listed in their charts. They had less surgical complications and they had less medication use. And and so that was groundbreaking. And then the several studies after that have been replicated. And if you go into Mass General or other, you know, major hospital centers, you're gonna see a lot of greenery. And it it actually all started to understand the benefits of that, how our brain becomes more what's called top-down. The top-down part of the brain, right behind the prefrontal cortex, our forehead, is the part of the brain that guides beliefs that are very positive or adaptive, you know, the the appropriate response to stress. Mm. The other region of the brain, it's at the base of the brain, that's the part of the brain that gets activated and runs our brain when we're under stress. And it doesn't matter whether a plant, that greenery is real or not. Really? Yeah, even in dorm rooms, they've looked at students. If you put four plants in a room for college students, their cognitive performance goes up, their test scores go up. I know, isn't it? It's really very compelling. Wow, that's interesting. You know, we're super lucky here in Hingham because we have a lot of green space. You know, I often think about almost afterglow, too, of being out in nature. When I take a walk in World's End or one of the other um, spots around town, it's not just like the moment that I'm soaking up. It's almost like that runner's high of of being outside. I mean, even sitting on my front porch, I can get that. What is that? Well, it's it's it, everything you just described um, is exactly what it is. And I think what put that kind of being out immersed in that biodiversity was clearly understood and valued in Japan first. 
where back in the early 80s, um, the nation uh, undertook this massive study where they looked at a thousand subjects and they had them walk in, in a forest. And just an hour of walking in a forest, people said they had less psychological stress, mm -hmm. they felt less depressed, less hostile, less irritable. And, you know, one of the acute hormones that's released in the body under stress is cortisol. Mm -hmm. The subjects had a significant reduction in cortisol. You know, your blood pressure's lower, mm -hmm. your pulse rate is lower. But another marker, you'll see it in fitness trackers now, is called heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. And it's that, that timing of the interval, right, between your heartbeats. And the more variability of that timing between your heartbeats, the more enhanced your immune system is. Hmm. And they realized that all this vegetation was releasing these certain aromatic molecules where our natural killer cells were more significantly increased. Hmm. Now, those are critically important. In fact, really even more so now because of the pandemic, where the more your natural killer cells are activated, you have greater defense against cancers and viruses. Mm. So now in Japan, it's become part of their cancer treatment that patients are prescribed to walk an hour a week in the woods if they're physically capable. Wow. Yeah. It's like I hear I'm loading up my kids with vitamin D and <laughs> doing all these other things when, you Throw know. Throw them outside. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, getting them off the computer is the trick. You know, what are you seeing kind of in your professional life at MGH and in kind of your personal, like, what are you hearing from people about this time? Not just, you know, obviously kind of what COVID was, so to speak, but, you know, how it just is ever evolving. You know, what are you seeing? Whenever you undergo periods of stress, you're either going to be better off or worse off. Mm -hmm. So you're either going to surrender to that stress and your thinking is going to become more negative because that part of the brain is going to become more dominant. The more you activate it, you know, the thicker that part of the brain becomes, and then your threshold for activating it is lower. But this other concept of going through a period of stress, and gosh, we see it certainly with frontline workers, that they band together, there's more social cohesion. Um, we're also realizing that this concept, post-traumatic growth, you know, you never bounce back from a stressor, you bounce up. And that's human evolution, right? And, and throughout human history, we go through massive periods of stress, pandemic now being one of them, but the recovery of that, the ability to cope with that, we become more creative, um, we rely on each other more, we develop more compassion, we understand, you know, life turns on a dime and there's suffering, and the interdependence hmm. of it all. As much as, you know, there is the fear of contracting COVID and all the stress of that, but we now realize, I mean, after, um, it, it just in terms of my career now, I've spent more time working remotely. So you, you have more time with the family. Mm. You have more time to prepare really healthy meals. You have more time. I never had time. I would preach how important it was to go out outdoors. When you exercise outdoors, it's much more therapeutic than exercising indoors, even if you do the same activity for the same amount of time. Mm. So I would know this and preach it, but my hour commute back and forth to work, my eight hours, you know what that was like, you never have time to do it. And I would sit there and say, um, but I know how challenging it is to have the time to do it. 
now because of the pandemic and and many of us have the luxury not all um of of being able to have more of that free time Mm -hmm. it will change the culture there will be aspects um even our public health system i do think what we're seeing in our patient population certainly in my own life and family is that we're going to come out with growth Hmm. okay well i'm waiting for mine um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If a friend were to say to you, what advice can you give me right now, Peg? What would you say? Spend more time outdoors and and be outdoors in environments that have more biodiversity. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Peg Bame, I thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Many thanks to my podcasting partner, producer-editor extraordinaire, Kristen Keith. To our intern, Cameron Baker. Our website was designed by Donna Mavramatis and her terrific team at Mavro Creative. And, of course, thank you to you, our listeners. If you like what you heard, please share us with a friend. I'm Allie Donnelly. Talk to you soon.